Welcome, friends. On this podcast, we talk about a lot of things, mostly prayer, but also spiritual warfare, parenting adult kids, and what it's like to be a woman of God living in an increasingly post-Christian world. This is the place where I share interviews with people whose lives have greatly influenced mine and where I talk about the things that are filling the teeny space between my ears that we call a brain. (laughs) This week, I almost didn't create a podcast because, to be quite honest with you, my brain is tired. I'm I'm preparing to teach again this fall at my church, the church that my husband and I are transitioning out of leadership after 35 years. I could talk about the complicity of that, but I won't. So... I need you to know that I've been preparing my my messages or the content for my classes, especially for the new class that Tom and I are actually going to teach together, and we're calling it Perfecting the Art of Parenting Your Prodigals. This class isn't going to be about the prodigals so much as it's going to be about the parents. In it, we're going to build community with each other, and we're going to discover the good path that God has for us on our unique parenting journeys. I'm also, though, this fall teaching my foundational study for the prayer clinic ministry called Teach My Heart to Pray. Um, But then I'm combining that four-week study with another four-week study called Teach My Heart to Pray Scripture. So Teach My Heart to Pray is already available online if you'd like to take the course yourself, or even better, if you'd like to lead that course in your church. It's got a workbook that goes along with it and teaching videos, and all of that is available on my online stores on my website. And of course, I'll give you a link to all these things. Now, Teach My Heart to Pray Scripture will be coming out probably at the end of this fall, maybe around Christmas if I can get it done that quick, because my goal is to publish that study as I go through teaching it this time. So these two prayer courses this fall will be for the women on Wednesday mornings at Thompson Station Church beginning September 13th. Um, Next Wednesday night, September 6th, we're actually having a a fellowship time on Wednesday morning and on Wednesday night to let the women know what studies we're offering. And I believe that fellowship time will have yummy desserts. So just a, a plug for that next week. But the class will actually start on the 13th. Then Tom and I will be opening up and beginning our Perfecting the Art of Parenting Your Prodigals at the same place, Thompson Station Church, for men and women, also on Wednesday, September 13th. But that class will be offered in the evening from 6.30 to 8 at night. Um, If you live anywhere near Thompson Station Church and want to come and get in on either this Prayer, prayer, blah, 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 you know, the parents of prodigals class, or if you'd like to get in on the really solid um, two classes on prayer, I can't even think of anything more powerful in your spiritual life than learning how to pray scripture. Anyway, feel free to come join us. If you can't be here, then go check out Teach My Heart to Pray online and know that I am uh, really eager to continue building that online library. So both of these courses, the scripture one, um, Teach My Heart to Pray Scripture and Perfecting the Art of Parenting Your Prodigals will become online courses after this fall. All that to say, this is why my brain is tired. So I've decided to do something new today. I am going to read you an article that I found online that I think is worth your hearing. 
I'll, of course, link it to the show notes, and I'll let the writer know that his or her material was shared with my audience via podcast. And I was just thinking, if I were driving back and forth to work or to go pick kids up at school or whatever, it would be really cool to have this great content um, delivered to me. So now I am not the creator of the content. I'm just the deliverer. I cannot promise that I might not give my two cents worth along the way as we, um, as I share these articles with you, but I'll do my best to try to let you know when it's me talking and, you know, when I've diverted from reading the article because I had something to say that it made me think of. So anyway, the first of what may become frequent articles that I'm going to share with you here on my Leah McCoy, McCoy podcast is this one. It's called Deconversion is Not as Countercultural as You Might Think, written by Brett McCracken and published on the Gospel Coalition website. It was published on March 16, 2021. Deconversion is Not as Countercultural as You Think. Written by Brett McCracken, March 16, 2021. In recent years, the Instagram deconversion announcement has become a well-established genre. The formula is pronounced a former can I just slow down a minute? A former evangelical author, pastor, CCM star, or simply raised in church, that's in quotes, 20-something post a self-portrait looking ponderous and solemn yet free. Maybe they're seen from behind looking out at some beautiful lake or mountain scene. Perhaps they carefully select a this is me warts and all selfie with perfectly imperfect styling. The post accompanying text usually begins with some variation of I never thought I would say this or it's terrifying to post this followed by a lengthy narrative involving some combination of words such as evolving, journey, fear, discovery, honesty, authentic, free, and hopeful. Now, here I am giving my two cents worth. At first, I thought our writer, Brett McCracken, was being awfully kind of sarcastic, not sarcastic, but just kind of like a little bit like... um, I don't know, snide or snarky? Maybe snarky is a good word right here. And right as I was beginning to think this, this is what he says next. (laughs) I don't mean to diminish the sincere, agonizing, and legitimate trepidation that accompanies an individual's decision to make a deconversion Instagram official. I'm just observing that this has become a genre, a predictable commonplace, and not at all surprising artifact of a find-yourself age. And I want to insert right here again, I totally agree with what he's saying right here. What I started Googling and happened to find this article was I said, um, why is deconversion so popular today? I think I Googled something like that. Okay, back to his article. Far from renegade, edgy, and brave, the announcement of a person's conscious uncoupling from institutional religion is simply going with the flow of a culture that mainstreamed such behavior decades ago. 
Rather than going against the grain of Western culture, abandoning received doctrine and institutional faith in favor of a self-styled follow-your-heart spirituality is quite smoothly with the grain. So I think what he's saying here is that you're not all that cool and different to deconstruct your faith, that you're basically just kind of going with the flow of what the culture's been doing for several decades. Okay, back to this article. To, to declare one's spiritual autonomy, one's unshackling from Christianity's, quote, constraints, unquote, and old-fashioned ideas about sin and morality is simply to nod along with Oprah and her vast tribe of suburban moms, to disown a God of limitations, boundaries, and wrath in favor of a God who only wants to fund your, quote, best life, unquote, dreams, and promote John Lennon's style, quote, love and good vibes, is to join the ranks of frat boys obsessed with Joe Rogan's name it and claim it, prosperity preachers, and the vast majority of best-selling authors in religion, spirituality, and faith of the last 20 years. All right, he's just kind of rubbing salt in the wound right there. So before you file divorce papers from the Christianity of your youth, know that doing so is in no way countercultural. Like marital divorce, it's thoroughly acceptable and common. I want to suggest that the far more radical and truly countercultural choice isn't to abandon Christian faith because it is maddening, difficult, and out of step with the contemporary zeitgeist. The radical choice is to keep the faith. Okay, he has my attention now. Here you go. His next big heading is, Have you tried true Christianity? When I say keeping the faith is radical, I'm talking about Christian faith in the true biblical sense. I'm not talking about an American cultural Christianity in which doctrinal literacy is low, but concern for gun rights and a border wall is high. Nor am I talking about a progressive Christianity that selectively invokes scripture for justice campaigns, but ignores its personal moral demands. Deconstructing comfortable forms of Christianity is good. To keep the faith of these distorted forms of Christianity is in no way radical. But I would encourage you, if you're considering a break from Christianity, to make sure you've given real Christianity a try. This Christianity doesn't fit neatly with your politics and preferences, but constantly presses you on different fronts, refusing to be boxed in or manipulated into what you want it to be. This Christianity doesn't simply affirm you as you are, but relentlessly pushes you to become more like Jesus. This Christianity invites, rather than shuns, the intellectual wrestling that naturally comes when we try to wrap our minds around an infinite triune God whose existence and work in the world will always be a bit, of a myster of, a bit mysterious. Many who deconstruct their faith believe Christianity is a religion for intellectual simpletons in which everything is explainable and all tensions must be resolved out of fear that they'll discredit the whole thing. It, if that's your experience of Christianity, I'm sorry. I understand why you'd want to leave it behind. But that's not true Christianity. It's simply another mutation of the faith, an attempt to to domesticate God and shoehorn him into our comfortable paradigms. True Christianity always challenges our paradigms and assaults our comfort. It's rewarding for sure, but also costly. One of its costs is intellectual. 
the taxing burden of lingering questions, naughty paradoxes, and mirror dimly faith. His mirror dimly statement is referencing 1 Corinthians 13, 12, when Paul says that right now we see in the mirror dimly, but in eternity we'll see Jesus face to face, like we'll understand what real, really he's truth, I guess, is. So anyway, he said here, one of its causes is intellectual, the taxing burden of lingering questions, naughty paradoxes, and mirror dimly faith without empirical proof. But that's what true faith is. It requires a humble willingness to be content with not comprehending everything. I love where he's going here, because if there's one thing that I've had to struggle with, it's wanting to find an answer, to give an answer, to have the right answer, and then to realize that in some situations, there is no answer and be okay with living in that space. But back to his article, the late theologian J.I. Packer once expressed it this way. It is not for us to stop believing because we lack understanding or to postpone believing till we can get understanding, but to believe in order that we may understand. As Augustine said, unless you believe, you will not understand. Faith first, sight afterwards, is God's order, not vice versa. And the proof of the sincerity of our faith is our willingness to have it so. Goodness, there's a lot in that statement. Onto his article. If this is what Christian faith actually requires, a willingness to have faith first, sight afterwards, then I'd suggest that to keep believing in this faith is a braver and costlier choice than abandoning it because you can't fully wrap your mind around its thornier components. Next subtitle, Bespoke Spirituality's Loneliness. Chances are, if you're considering deconstructing institutional religion, you're not moving immediately to full-on atheism. Instead, you're likely planning to forge a more intuitional bespoke spirituality that perhaps retains some aspects of Christianity, but is more fluid, incorporating bits and pieces of other philosophies, rituals, and spiritualities as they fit your mood and needs. This is what religion columnist Tara Isabella Burton chronicles in Strange Rites, New Religions for a Godless World. Here's the quote. A religion of emotive intuition, of aestheticized and commodified experience, of self-creation and self-improvement, and yes, selfies. A religion decoupled from institutions, creeds, from metaphysical truth claims about God or the universe or the way things are, but that still seeks in various and varying ways to provide us with the pillars of what religion always has, meaning, purpose, community, ritual. This mix and match religion might include a few parts of traditional religion, Shabbat, Christmas carols, Catholic prayer candles, a smattering of wellness practices, yoga, meditation, soul cycle, a dash of new age magic, burning sage, tarot cards, astrology, and a deeply moral zealotry for social justice or LGBT plus rights. While this sort of remixed bespoke spirituality might sound radical, in reality, it's simply a bourgeois adoration of mainstream consumerism. Capitalism loves it 
because it means more products and experiences to sell to ever hungrier consumers looking for meaning outside the walls of religious institutions. But far from a countercultural protest to choose this sort of build your own religion is simply to fall in line with the have it your way Burger King kind of brand of faith. In our intensely consumeristic world, the person who resists the urge to curate a bespoke spirituality and instead sticks with a consistent established religious tradition, even when it doesn't fit personal preference, that's the one who's the true radical. It's also worth noting that bespoke spirituality is something typically only chosen by the privileged, those with comfort, means, and social status suitable for an often quite expensive adventure in a la carte spirituality. The privileged can detach from institutions and meander on their intuitional paths with little concern for the possible dangers of a go-it-alone spirituality. Less privileged people recognize the necessity, not just for survival, but for flourishing, of embeddedness within social fabrics, institutions, and traditions. It's perhaps not surprising that atheism and agnosticism are uncommon among lower income classes and in developing nations. You have to live a pretty comfortable life to be a religious nun. Wow, that's an interesting paragraph, don't you think? Basically, he's saying that that people that have not had to go without are the ones that have the luxury to create this a la carte, he calls it spirituality. Um, because when you do live with maybe your basic needs not met, you do find the comfort and the support and the benefit of um, religion inside of its social fabrics, even given what's not perfect about it, but within the context of it. That's a, that's just a, it's not something that I have thought about before. That's an interesting thing he's saying there. All right, but here he goes. To ditch religion in favor of bespoke spirituality or no spirituality is thus a bourgeois choice fully in keeping with comfortable consumerism. Not only does it not make you a renegade, but it also makes you lonely. Because when you depart Christianity, you aren't opening, you aren't opening yourself up to a new, more spacious freedom. Quite the opposite. You're narrowing your freedom and horizons of possibility to the confines of one person, you. While it sounds great, and again, is totally the way of our consumerist I world, this me-driven spirituality becomes, eventually becomes claustrophobic and lonely. By freeing yourself from the constraints of community, the demands of external authority, and the accountability of institutional formation, it may seem at first like you're choosing an open road idyllic freedom. But freedom isn't the absence of constraints. Jesus didn't say total limitless autonomy will set you free. <laughs> he said the truth will set you free. John 8, 32. Not your truth, the truth. In a true for everyone sense. And that sort of freeing truth isn't easily found by looking within, trusting your gut, and going it alone. Next big subcategory statement. Radical cost of true Christianity. In a post-Christian and rapidly secularizing culture, deconstructing isn't a radical act. It's just a normal thing that more and more people do, and it makes sense. 
Historic Christianity is an even is an ever stranger, ever more fringe, ever more unwelcome thing in today's world. Consider all the ways it subverts current norms in Western culture. Now he's bulleting these statements. He's asking us to consider ways that Christianity subverts current norms in our culture today. All right, first bullet. Consider all the ways it subverts current norms in Western culture. In a believe in yourself world, Christianity calls you to deny yourself, Matthew 16, 24, and take up your cross, Luke 14, 27. In a you-do-you world that emphasizes expressive individualism, authenticity, and nonconformity, Christianity is about conforming to the likeness of Jesus, Romans 8, 29, and being imitators of God, Ephesians 5, 1. In a consumerist and greedy culture, Christianity calls you to costly generosity, Luke 21, 1 through 4, and a willingness to give up material possessions, Matthew 19, 21, and Luke 14, 33. In a self-oriented world of self-promotion, self-help, and selfies, Christianity calls you to be an others-focused servant, Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Galatians 6, 2, Matthew 20, 26 through 28. In a world that says you should be free to do with your body whatever you wish, Christianity says you ought to glorify God with your body, 1 Corinthians 6, 20. In a sexually progressive culture that sanctions pretty much anything in the bedroom as long as it's consensual, Christianity says sex is intended for the covenantal union of one man and one woman, Genesis 2.24, Matthew 19.3-6, and 1 Corinthians 7.2. In a world that privileges power, winning, and best life success, Christianity calls you to value weakness, 2 Corinthians 12.9-10. In a partisan world in which thinking the worst of your enemies and trying to own them on social media is a way of life, Christianity calls you to the radical challenge of loving them, Matthew 5, 44. In a world fraught with division and tribal fragmentation in which it's easier than ever before to part ways with someone who differs from you, Christianity calls you to be reconciled, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. In a world that has normalized the discarding of unborn lives and the dehumanizing of others through racism, sexism, and xenophobia, Christianity insists all humans bear the image of God, Genesis 1.27, and are worthy of dignity and protection. In a pluralistic world with a diversity of beliefs in which all roads lead to heaven is a comforting thought, Christianity calls you to believe that there's only one path to heaven, trusting in Jesus Christ, John 14.6. In a world steeped in scientific rationalism, Christianity requires belief in the supernatural, a virgin conceiving a child, bodies resurrecting from the dead, people being miraculously healed, among many other examples. None of this is easy to practice or believe, and the list could be much longer. There's nothing comfortable about truly following Jesus. Those who say otherwise or whose version of Christianity is conveniently custom fit to their personal comfort, whether politics, music preferences, or sexual proclivities, are deceiving themselves and harming the cause of Christ. The reality is, to accept all the cost of true Christianity, to believe all it asserts, to go against the grain of the culture so dramatically, is incredibly difficult and a little weird. If Christians are labeled freaks for what they believe and practice in today's world, it's for good reason. 
We should not be surprised that few follow this path, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. We shouldn't be shocked that deconversion announcements on Instagram are common. Do you really want to be countercultural? Then don't abandon Christianity. Stick with it. Gives you something to think about, doesn't it? I enjoyed Brett McCracken's article because he put into perspective and words what's been bouncing around in my head as I've tried to make sense of this deconstruction and deconversion even movement. I found another article online written by a guy named Mike Spencer, AKA the internet monk, who predicted the collapse of evangelicalism. Listen to some of what he wrote. I believe that we are on the verge within 10 years of a major collapse of evangelical Christianity, a collapse that will follow the deterioration of the mainline Protestant world and that will fundamentally alter the religious and cultural environment in the West. I believe this evangelical collapse will happen with astonishing statistical speed, that within two generations of where we are now, evangelicalism will be a house deserted of half its current occupants, leaving in its wake nothing that can revitalize evangelicals to their former glory. The party is almost over for evangelicals, a party that's been going strong since the beginning of the Protestant 20th century. We are soon going to be living in a very secular and religiously antagonistic 21st century in a culture that will be between 25 to 30% non-religious. The collapse will, I believe, herald the arrival of an anti-Christian chapter of the post-Christian West and will change the way tens of millions of people see the entire realm of religion. Intolerance of Christianity will rise to levels many of us have not believed possible in our lifetimes, and public policy will become particularly hostile towards evangelical Christianity, increasingly seeing it as the opponent of the good of individuals and society. He went on to say, Many who will leave evangelicalism will leave for no religious affiliation at all. Others will leave for an atheistic or agnostic secularism with a strong personal rejection of Christian belief and Christian influence. Many of our children and grandchildren are going to abandon ship and many will do so saying good riddance. In his article, and it's a series of three, he actually even got a bit personal when he mentioned the Southern Baptist. Aggressively evangelistic fundamentalist churches will begin to disappear. They will exist only as a dying form of church. The Southern Baptist Convention will experience dramatic losses in the numbers of churches in the next 25 years. By 2050, the SBC will have half the number of churches it has today. Who who knows how many members it will report? The SBC will become Exhibit A for the problems of evangelicalism with fragmentation appearing everywhere and a loss of coherence on many fronts. Wow. What's interesting to me is that Mike Spencer, the writer of this prophetic, you know, um, statements of what he's saying about what's going to happen with evangelicalism. He died on April 5th, 2010. I don't know. I just thought it was interesting to find these two articles, one predicting the coming deconstruction movement written 11 years before the other article putting the genre, he called it, of deconstruction in perspective. So, there you have it. I might 
I might do some of Mike um, Spencer's, the Internet Monk. I may get one of his articles in the future to read to you. I just wanted to share those bits of, of one of his to kind of close this out with this article by Brett McCracken. So who is Brett McCracken? He's, the, he's a writer. Um, he was the writer of today's article. And he's a senior editor and director of communications at the Gospel Coalition. Remember, that's where I found that article. He's the author of several interesting books. I'll post the link to his bio on the show notes so that you can check those out. So my friends, now you're educated. Take care, my praying people. And I'll promise to show up next week either with somebody else's great content (laughs) or some of my own. Don't forget that we can help you mobilize your church to pray. Go to prayerclinic.com to learn more about that. And please, if you live in our community in um, South Williamson County, just south of Nashville, Tennessee, then come and see us at Thompson Station Church. We've got some great opportunities for Bible study and community going on this fall. I look forward to seeing you next week on the Leanne McCoy podcast.